This is When Spirit Calls, and you on your journey are in the right place. This show is about magic, miracles, and meaning shared through stories, interviews, and channeled messages. We have so much to share about who you are and your divine mission here on the earth. Let's get to it. When Spirit Calls is right now. We have another amazing guest coming at you today. Today we have Alana Joy with us. Alana Joy is a reconnection coach, speaker, and lifelong healer. She has been a helping professional for over 20 years working as a nurse and psychotherapist. Her personal experience of chronic illness, death, and divorce catalyzed profound physical, emotional, and spiritual healing. Weaving her deep understanding of the body, heart, and soul, Alana Joy's work bridges science and spirituality to integrate all parts of the human experience. Her mission is to guide as many as possible through the process of excavating their authentic self and connecting with a renewed sense of purpose and joy. Please welcome our guest today, Alana Joy. Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to have you back on another edition of When Spirit Calls. You have just learned about our beautiful guest today. Alana Joy is in the house. Hi, Alana. Hi, Deanne. I'm feeling so joyful to be here. (laughs) Oh, I'm so happy to have you here. And you really are a bundle of joy. So I'm excited for our guests to really tune into that energy and feel the joy that you bring to the table. So why don't you get us started? Because, of course... In typical When Spirit Calls fashion, we want to know the story behind you. We want to know what brought you to where you are today. So would you start us off by just a little story sharing? Yeah, thank you for that. And thank you again for having me here. Uh, Where to start? What brought me here? When did Spirit Call? I think that's the question to lead with. And, uh, you know, in truth, Spirit has probably been calling my whole life. (laughs) I couldn't quite hear the messages. It took it took a few decades to really get it. <laughs> I remember I was around seven years old and uh, sitting on my bathroom counter and staring into the mirror and seeing this, you know, face reflected back at me. And I couldn't quite make sense of what I was seeing. I I saw this face. I saw this body, but it's like I didn't quite belong in it. And I kept repeating my name. Alana, 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 kind of to connect myself with this form I was seeing. And and it was just sound in my ears. And this was just an image I was seeing. I felt very disembodied. And I had the sense that I didn't belong here. And this feeling <laughs> stuck with me for most of my life. The sense of not quite belonging here or being of here. And so fast forward <laughs> into my life, I tried to belong. I really, really did. I tried to belong, you know, in grade six, I was the most fashionable girl in class with the neon suspenders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I worked really hard to belong. <laughs> and uh, I just, I mean, I, on the surface, I appeared to fit in, but I just never quite had this sense of belonging. And maybe some of your listeners can relate. I suspect many of them can. I can even relate to that. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. I remember it. I yeah. used to my mom, I'm in this world, but not of it, because I felt yes. so removed from what everyone else was doing and acting like. Yes, yes. absolutely. Absolutely. And 
you know, as humans, we have a need for belonging, for a sense of safety and uh, an acceptance. It's a human need. And so I really did try. I really did try to belong. Um, but I just never felt like I quite got it in the internal world. The external, I had the, you know, I had the Neil Spenders, of course I belong. But <laughs> in the internal world, I just didn't quite feel it. Yeah. Um, something else, a way that uh, you know, my soul was whispering to me was through my body and Growing up, one of the ways that I felt like I didn't belong is I had lots of things happening in my body that, you know, friends, peers were not. I, when I was uh, nine years old, I had a tonsillectomy. So pretty, you know, routine procedure of having my tonsils taken out. And a week later, um, I hemorrhage, lost massive amounts of blood, needed a transfusion, and actually had a near-death experience, which I've come to realize now that that's what that was. <laughs> wow. When I was 12 years old, I had a pretty minor fall off my bike and broke my wrist, which wasn't a huge deal, cast on, cast off. But for weeks later, I was still limping and had pain in my hip. And, you know, it wasn't visible on the surface that there was anything happening. And uh, my symptoms were more or less dismissed in a busy family of four, two working parents. It was, you know, it was kind of the bottom of the list of priorities, my sore leg and, and limb. And... So I learned to disconnect even further from my body. <laughs> so back at, you know, when I'm sitting in the mirror feeling disconnected from body, this message was actually reinforced to disconnect from my body because what body was experiencing was actually really uncomfortable. And I was told it wasn't real. Yeah. So I learned to not trust what my body was telling me. Fast forward that story, it actually, it did get investigated and it turned out I had a condition in my leg and I was at risk of never walking again. And uh, thankfully, miraculously, it was treated and I am able-bodied and walking. Oh, wow. So my body was showing me signs. <laughs> listen, 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 and listen to the truth of your body. And I believe, I've come to believe that, you know, our body is uh, part of the packaging that our soul inhabits <laughs> in this lifetime. And it does carry very important messages. So it's really important to listen, to listen to these messages from body because they will guide us. Mm -hmm. will guide us back into ourselves, <laughs> back into our soul, and reconnect us with something greater. So body has uh, been, uh, I've had an interesting relationship with body, <laughs> but it's very, I'm so appreciative of the messages I've received from it, even though they came in very painful packages. <laughs> right? Yeah. Isn't that how it goes? I just have to share with you, I know you're continuing the story, but yeah, yeah. by the way, also talk tonsillectomy when I was a kid, five. Um, also broken bone when I was 12. Same thing happened to me. Nabody believed. Oh, I just got chills. <laughs> oh, I just had to share that with Whoa. you. Like, she's like telling my story here. Right. So wow. I had like, tonsillectomy, but just a couple months, I think it was, oh gosh, I don't remember if it was before or after when I had my near death, but I jumped on a jawbreaker and I had my near death that same time. So it happened right around the same time frame to that tonsillectomy. So anyway, I mean, I could go on, but I just oh wanted to share those synchronicities with you. Yeah, <laughs> by accident that we connected. We know this. No, that was wrong, right? So yeah. yeah, listening to your body, now you're starting to tune into your body. What else is going on in your world? Mm -hmm. So, okay. So while I mean, I, you know, so I was disconnected from body and you know, having a near-death experience and having this condition in my leg and how, you know, you didn't quite 
get get me back in. <laughs> and so I, you know, the environment, you know, my family that I, you know, my environment, like community that I was living in was, uh, I'd say quite head oriented, meaning, you know, very, yeah, scientific logic. If something, yeah, if science can't prove it, it doesn't exist. And so, you know, in terms of, you know, religion or spirituality, that there were, there wasn't much space for that in my family. Um, it just, yeah. And, you know, I appreciate my parents had had their own perhaps kind of negative or uncomfortable experiences with it. And and I think, you know, raising us, they just sort of decided to leave it open-ended, which I do appreciate. And at the same time, the leaning was towards a more kind of scientific head orientation way of being in the world. And so, you know, I I, I can look back now and recognize my, you know, connection with spirit and soul and all the whisperings I got and premonitions and uh, voices and all these things that I never spoke of them because that was just crazy. So I shoved it. So another piece of myself that I disconnected from because it, it wasn't safe. Well, right? Yeah, it wasn't safe. Yeah, pretty cuckoo to talk about this stuff. Yeah. So I shoved it down. <laughs> yeah. So I was disconnecting from body. I was disconnecting from soul. I was disconnecting from emotions because I think as you know, so many can relate to, you know, we grow up often conditioned believing that there are certain emotions that are okay, certain emotions that are okay and not okay. You know, girls don't get angry, boys shouldn't cry, you know, come of these some of these kind of common messages. And so that was something else I experienced was like not expressing emotion. So <laughs> that's kind of what was going on for me. I was pretty disconnected. Then, so professionally, <laughs> I uh, I became a nurse. And I became a nurse because my mom was a nurse and I always felt called. This is maybe one of the ways I did listen to my soul. I always felt called to help others. And, you know, there were, we lived on the edge of a forest. Growing up, there were always these little animal friends and I was always trying to rescue the squirrels or rescue the birds or, yeah. And so I always felt called to help others. And so when it came to, you know, it came to the age where I was deciding what to do as a profession, nursing did a line actually, you know, with the depths that I knew myself at the time. So I became a nurse and, and, uh, to put it succinctly, very quickly started burning out. It didn't take me very long in the profession to start to feel, well, emotionally exhausted. And the intensity of what I was witnessing and supporting was, it was it was quite overwhelming. And, and there were many resources to how to navigate this. And so I didn't really have them internally <laughs> and they weren't really provided externally. Right, And I, one of the things I really appreciated about nursing was um, that emotional support, listening to my patients. And there wasn't really a lot of space for that. I was focusing on their physical survival, which I, I mean, I did love doing that. And I could appreciate why it took priority. And I wasn't connecting and supporting in a way that my soul was feeling called to. Yeah. So <laughs> I went on and did my master's in counseling psychology and became a psychotherapist. And so I've been working as a psychotherapist for the last 15 years, and I'm also working as a coach. But just to backtrack a little bit about one of the reasons I stepped away from nursing, so certainly one of them was I was becoming burnt out and wanted to provide more emotional support than the professional had the capacity to, yeah, for me to do that. But also, body was giving me signs. I was getting whispers from my body that this really intense work <laughs> was not sustainable. I think it's hard on anybody. Absolutely. The shift work, the, the 
kind of, you know, not necessarily being able to eat when you're hungry, not being able to go to the washroom when you need to, like that it's a very intense profession. And I was getting messages from my body that, uh uh-uh, I can't sustain this. So more clues, (laughs) more clues, all these breadcrumbs along the path. The body was saying, hang on, hang on, (laughs) listen out here, something's going on. So I know it's not a, this is kind of a circuitous path. It's not a straight line. (laughs) Our lives aren't. (laughs) Yeah, they're not. Maybe I'll just pause here for a sec while I collect and you can, you can, yeah. Weigh in. Yeah, you know, I've got to add to this too, because I I was an EMT. So that was the career I chose. So instead of nursing, I went the EMS route because my dad had saved my life when I was little. And so I wanted to save other people's lives. I thought that's what I was going in for. Yeah. And and then I got there and you're right. It's a very demanding. You're working shift work. You are, you know, getting mistreated. I remember I got spit on. I got kicked. I mean, all of the things, you know, and my body also spoke to me. You know, I I had a knee injury and I was struggling to lift some of my heavier patients in their stretchers. Mm -hmm. And so my body was like, you can't keep doing this. So that brings up the thought, though, because a lot of people are like, well, how does spirit call? Yeah. Right. We know spirit calls, but how does spirit call? Well, spirit calls in many forms and fashion, but yeah. one of which is the physical ailments or discomfort or pain. Yes. And that's actually the last sign of spirit, by the way, everybody listening. But <laughs> earlier signs are the intuition or like mm. noticing other job opportunities when we're in a job we don't love or do you know what I mean? Like there's usually other signs before the body shows up. The body's usually a last, last ditch effort for spirit to say, yeah, oh my goodness, you're not listening. Now yeah. it's really going to show you. And so, you know, is it good to be connected with our bodies prior to it getting to that point? Absolutely. But to also remember that spirit will call you long before that. If you want to listen to it, if you want to look for it, look for the signs, look for the nudges, look and see when things have popped up more than once, you know, right? Like in the Kashuk records keeps coming up and you keep hearing about it. Well, there's a there's an indication that you're being called to that, right? Yeah. And not to say that every time spirit will be like, Oh, yeah, I'm going to make you suffer because you're not listening. That's not what spirit is saying either, by the way. You know, divine God creator is not saying, if you don't listen, you're going to suffer necessarily. Mm-hmm. Ever. However, mm-hmm. it's not important. Right? We associate pain as discomfort. However, it's really just an alarm bell to say, oh, hey, yes. Here, look here. Yeah. Right? And, yes. and then it's up to yes. us how much we suffer in that. <laughs> yes. Oh, I am so with you on this. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Pain is a messenger. And so to the segue. So what, you know, I was experiencing pain in my body and I don't even really I call it that for ease of communication, but I don't really attach to that label anymore because it doesn't really serve me. But what I was experiencing, yeah, was throbbing, stinging, pinching. Yeah. So to be more kind of objective with what I was actually feeling and I didn't know that at the time because this is the only body I'd only lived, I'd ever lived in. <laughs> so I didn't have any frame of reference. But so throughout my life, I was experiencing, and you know, then then the big alarms with the tonsillectomy and the hemorrhaging and the 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 thing that happened in my leg, all this, yeah. So body was sending signs, and I was likely getting signs in other places, as you say. But I wasn't, I wasn't aware. Well, I wasn't aware. I was like the aware. Yeah, exactly. I didn't have a template of how to hear these messages. So body kept bringing them back to me. 
So fast forward, <laughs> um, pregnant with my first child and, uh, yeah, again, body sending me some clues that some things are going on here that don't happen for every pregnant woman. But, you know, it kind of easily enough brushed under the rug or just, you know, managed. And uh, then my son was born and I was noticing things in him, you know, as a, as a baby, as a toddler, you know, so it's going into a few years now. But I was noticing things in him that I'm like, oh, he's kind of like kind of floppy. He had, a, he had a hernia in his belly button when he was born. He it was late to crawl. I mean, not late, like not. Yeah, but all me far end of the spectrum <laughs> or normal typical wow. so these things were going on from they were kind of subtle and i was just like what and he was very tired he was very very tired and uh so convenient you know as as a, a parent oh he's a wonderful sleeper he sleeps a lot and <laughs> what's going on here right i mean he was napping uh, you know up until kindergarten or like how is he gonna get through a full day of kindergarten so where that led me was, okay, I think this thing's going on with him. <laughs> Let's get this investigated. But then I was like, oh, pause. These things I'm seeing in him, uh, I kind of, yeah, I kind of started with me. <laughs> what have I been ignoring in my body <laughs> for my whole life? Wow. So this led me down the path of investigation, which is a whole story unto itself. But what I'll say now is that, so I went, uh, it was a long path, but I eventually ended up being seen uh, by a genetic program and being diagnosed with a genetic disorder called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. So it's a disorder of the, wait for it, connective tissue. <laughs> yeah. Connective tissue. <laughs> there spirit is <laughs> giving me another message. Okay? Yes. So I had a disorder of connection. Mm. I had a disorder of connection. <laughs> and, oh, so I can, you know, I can take that very literally. Okay, so yeah, it's at the collagen level. The glue in my body doesn't work so well. So yeah, okay, that is all true. And I am experiencing all those things that happen to body when the body's glue isn't so good. But I took that deeper. So one of the catalysts for me to take that deeper, uh, so shortly after I was diagnosed, I guess it may be about two years after I was diagnosed, oh, a year and a half, shortly after I was diagnosed, my father died. And it wasn't sudden. We 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 anticipated his death. It wasn't necessarily related to the condition I had been diagnosed with, but still, it could have possibly been. But mm. that's another story. So, leading up to his death, days before his death, he shares, and he was a very quiet man. And he's kind of enigmatic. I never really felt like I knew him that well. Mm. But leading into his death, we had a moment together, and he shared with me. Um, life is for living. And such a simple message, which I could have allowed it to just kind of go over my head, but it didn't. It just, it struck me. And how am I living? How am I not living? <laughs> what parts of myself am I not living? Mm. And I, I mean, it wasn't within that exact moment, but Pretty shortly thereafterwards, I went into this deep spiral of unraveling all the parts of my life that weren't me. Those neon suspenders weren't me. <laughs> you know, yeah. So many places in my life I had conformed and adapted to be who I thought I was supposed to be. I was married. I had two children. I had the picket fence. You know, I, that was my life on the outside. But on the inside, 
I knew I wasn't living. I was disconnected from my authentic self, from my soul. And so, as I'm sure you can relate, and likely many of your listeners can too, I went through this really dark time, right? Like when all of what I thought self was, was falling apart. Great. It had to. It had to to come apart. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So how how is your son, by the way? I just feel like I want to eat that circuit. Your son is great. Your son is healthy. What's happening with your son? Yeah, he's well, you know, I mean, he and I have a, at this time, this, uh, you know, the symptoms of our condition are fairly well managed. They're not, I mean, they're invisible. So they're that element, right? So he, you know, he's not a fast runner, you know, yeah, all these things, right? Which can be a challenge for him with peers, et cetera. He's 13 now. So, you know, it's a, mm. yeah, but I mean, Anyways, he's he's well. I'm well. And my diagnosis, which even that, I've started to distance myself from. It's messages from my body. It almost doesn't matter what labels put on it. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Is you know, I think we get attached and I hear people all the time, they're like, Oh, I have cancer. Yeah. It's like, well, then you're just validating that yeah. right? and getting hooked into that. What if yeah. I was diagnosed with it? Yeah. But then not getting attached to it. Yeah. So I love that perspective. You know, don't take ownership over it then. Yeah. You don't need to take ownership over it. Yeah. You can distance yourself from it. So I love that yeah. that's how you see it as well. Yeah. So so now you're a psychotherapist. Tell us like the snapshot of now. How do you help people? And what do we need to know from your story? I mean, we already gave some golden nuggets around. Mm you know, listening to the body a bit more, but, you know, what are some of the specific takeaways from your experience or journey around health, mm. this connection from the body and yeah. really learning about connection? What do we need to know about connection? What do we need to know yeah. about this whole idea? Yeah. So what's coming up for me and uh, part of my journey and, and might be part of others as well. So I'll share it if it's helpful. Um, so noticing, you know, when we're engaged in behaviors or, yeah, let's just say, yeah, when we're engaged in behaviors uh, to numb, mm. to disconnect, yeah? And society offers us so many. <laughs> there are so many options in the world of ways to numb and disconnect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see your face, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm laughing because I I have to share with you. You know, yeah. I I don't drink, but this weekend yeah. was a, like a friend's party, and I was like, yeah, I just want to have a few drinks, and I just want to turn off, and I totally did the whole numbing thing. Yeah. And what I witnessed in that was like everyone else in the numbing, and it's like accepted to yeah. do the numbing. And I had this really great realization after the weekend because one, I felt like crap. (laughs) (laughs) Courtesy of my own doing. Right? Listening to body. But two, then I felt so out of it for the days following. It took me three days to really feel like I got myself back. Yes. And it got kind of thinking about how we make it so readily available to numb ourselves. And it's not just drugs and alcohol. It's it's gambling. It's work. Yeah. It's the hustle culture. Right. It's uh, social media. It's so rampant. And yet we normalized it in such a way that it's like, let's keep everyone numbing because we keep ourselves numbing. 
Yeah. What that means is for the big corporations is that they they can basically have do whatever they want with us then. Absolutely. Because when we're known, we're disconnected from our intuition. We're disconnected from our authentic self. We're disconnected to something greater. What, no matter what name people put on it. Yeah, I'm not attached to any particular name, but we are disconnected from, yeah, our true self and power and the collective, others, our oneness. We're disconnected from all of that when we're numbing. And, um, you know, so part of my story was waking up to that realization of my relationship with alcohol. <laughs> And I would never have been diagnosed as an alcoholic. No, I didn't drink enough to meet that threshold. But I knew when I picked up a drink that I was drinking to numb. I was drinking to disconnect from my discomfort of disconnect. Just <laughs> get that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a spiral. It's a it is. It really is. And yeah. and we can make many excuses to do that, you know. But I think it comes back to, well, what is your intention? Are you having a yes. glass of wine to celebrate? Yes. Or, you know, to, in, you know, have a better taste in your food? Or are you having the glass of wine to numb? Yeah. You know, I think yeah. I think that's kind of what differentiates yeah. something healthy versus not healthy, potentially, anyways. I'm with you on that. I think it's conscious. Like So, the, so how to not engage in numbing behaviors is conscious. Yeah, being conscious, being reflective, being mindful. Yeah, asking yourself, why am I really doing this? And being really honest with yourself. And it can be uncomfortable, yeah. But because also just using drinking as an example, and as you said, there are so many, but just working with that example, it can be uncomfortable because then it's like, oh, I'm the weird one at the party that's not drinking, right? Because it is so socially sanctioned and endorsed. I mean, it's just a bit, now that I'm on this other side of it, I haven't had alcohol for about four years now. And I, now that I'm on the other side, I'm like, this is wild. It's that as people, we ingest poison to yeah. celebrate. I don't get it. I mean, I do get it because I was there. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't get it anymore. <laughs> you know, I used to do it. I, and gosh, in my 20s, I was dancing on the bars. Like, I, yes, yeah. that, I definitely did that. Yeah. So, so I think, okay, to go back to your question, <laughs> being mindful and conscious of our behaviors and keep peeling back the layers within self and exploring, not with criticism, exploring with compassion and curiosity. Why am I doing this thing? Yeah. Why am I, why did I just pick up my phone to scroll? What's the feeling that I might be trying to disconnect from? And can I be with that feeling, tend to that feeling, move through that feeling instead of distracting and numbing from it? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Just that little extra pause. Yeah. So, you know, that's an invitation for all of you listening. Is there an area where you can maybe pause before you disconnect or before you numb or escape, whatever that is for you? Can you pause and can you tune in to what it's really about for yourself? And then from there, you make at least a decision to say, yeah, no, I really do want to numb out. So I am going to do the thing. Yes. I'm not yes. doing the thing. Yes. Or or not. Maybe that thought is enough that you're like, yeah, I actually don't need to do the thing. Yes. Oh, I'm just, I get, I'm getting chills because I'm so excited. And because I'm so aligned with what you're saying, it is, I fully endorse the power of choice. Yeah. And so I have never said to myself, I will never have a drop of alcohol again. Because then I'm creating this internal resistance. I'm creating this internal tension and war right? That somehow if there's a part of me that wants to have that, it's wrong. So I'm actually furthering the disconnection. So what's been 
supportive for me is I have the choice. If I want to pick that up, I just will just be conscious, you know, mindful, take that pause. But it's not no go. It's not like I'm not going to ever drink again. But because I'm giving myself that choice, I really haven't had a drink for four years because I just don't really want it. There's the good Oh, how beautiful is that? I love that for you. So what else do you wish you would know? So we know, uh, you know, be more aware and conscious, mindful of the numbing. What else does our audience need to know about this idea of connection or healing? Yeah, so whispers in body, (laughs) uh, behaviors that we're doing to disconnect from emotions or sensations, yeah. You know, critically, well, critically not in the form, not in the sense of the word like being hard on oneself, but consciously evaluating, consciously and compassionately evaluating our values. And so, you know, how did I decide that this was something important to me? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like whether I, I, I have the value of family or whether I have the value of compassion or whether whatever our values are, being conscious and asking self, how is this actually mine? It might be, but it might not be. Yeah. Sometimes we adopt values like a family name. Like we just think that this is something we have to be. Right. Right. Absolutely. People pleaser in my family. Right. Right. It's like, oh, I've got to, I've got to be the people pleaser because that's what my parents are doing and their parents did. Yeah. So, but the conscious valuation, I think that we forget sometimes that we can do that self-reflection and do that. Evaluation, right? Yeah. And you say, okay, is this really why? Is it really mine? You know, asking those questions, everybody. So I love that. With listen to the whispers of the body, really check in your behaviors around escapism or disconnect. Yeah. Consciously evaluating the decisions that you're making. Yeah. I think those are really valuing system. Yeah. Like, is it actually yours or was it inherited? Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do I actually, yeah. Is it, do I actually believe this? <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. And all that, as you say, takes the pause, <laughs> right? We all, to be able to access that, we need to pause and turn inwards. And, you know, it might not be the form of meditation for everyone, but certainly has been my pathway into the, you know, to the inner world, into that pause. Um, but, you know, allowing self space. For that pause, turning off the outside distractions. Yeah. Just really allowing for that quiet space, which is definitely hard to come by these days. And outer world is always trying to pull us out. But right. giving yourself that pause so you can guide yourself through those three steps. Yeah. Ask the power in the pause, right? Or power in the pause. Alana, I know that we could probably talk forever about <laughs> I'm sure there's many more tips and tools you have. So how can people Come and see you, find you. What do you have in store for our audience? Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, I am still working as a psychotherapist. So that's a part of my practice. Another growing part of my practice is uh, I am a reconnection coach. Spirit gave me that title um, because my I'm my story of disconnection at the DNA level. Yeah. And so I guide my clients through the process of reconnecting with their heart and their emotions, reconnecting with their body, their sensations, and reconnecting with their soul and their intuition. So hearing those whispers that we've been talking about on all three levels. And so the client, the coaching clients that I work with are at that precipice. They're right there. They're at that spot. Yeah. where they're feeling the call, the pull back into soul, 
call it dark night of the soul, whatever we want to call it, but they're they're at that place where they're like, I need to reconnect. So that these are the steps that I guide clients through. And so I work with clients individually and I'm on the brink of launching an online program called Beneath the Surface. <laughs> oh, and love it. And I'd be with your authentic self. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So lots in store and your website and details are going to be in the show notes for all of you listening. So if you are drawn to this beautiful, joyful soul that we had on, then you can certainly reach out to Alana anytime. Alana, I've loved sharing space with you. It brought joy to me and so much reflection. And again, the rest of your story, by the way, basically mine. So isn't that wild? You and I need to chat outside of this podcast. Yeah. Connect even more. And I can't wait for that. Thank you so much for coming and being on the show with us. So great. Thank you so much for inviting me here. I loved our conversation, Deanne. It really flowed. And the synchronicities are, I mean, again, not surprising, but every time spirit calls in this way, I'm like reminded, oh, yeah. There's oh, yeah. At play here. Yeah. Right? Always something bigger at play. Oh, I love it. Well, to all of you listeners, thank you so much for tuning in again. And we will be back again in a couple weeks with a new episode of When Spirit Calls. Bye for now. So happy you could join us today, and we hope that you found comfort and inspiration with wherever you are at right now. If you feel you received a gift in today's message, please pass that gift along to a loved one by sharing this episode with them. To continue this conversation, please join me at rosehope.ca, and when you do, be sure to access your free gift by signing up for the When Spirit Calls newsletter. I'm looking forward to connecting with you again soon.